Well, I think it's very appropriate that the title of my sermon is God is not going to allow you to fail. He's not going to allow you to fail. Look at somebody smile real big and tell them God is not going to allow you to fail. Tell somebody else, God is not going to allow you to fail. Amen. Let's open our Bibles, first of all, this morning to the book of John, chapter 16. John, chapter 16. This is a message I shared with my staff earlier this week, and I felt impressed the Lord to share it with the congregation, even though many of the staff are in here. They've already heard it, and they will agree. It's really good. Hallelujah. I said they will agree. It is really good. (laughs) Amen. John 16, verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Another translation says, I have robbed it of its power to defeat you, praise God. Hallelujah. We're not denying that we encounter difficulties and trouble and adversity and tests and trials from time to time. But we are denying their right to defeat us. Because Jesus said, I have overcome them. He overcame them for our benefit, praise God. And I receive it. Lift your hands right now and say, Lord, I receive what you did for me that the world will not overcome me. And nothing in this world will overcome me. Can you say amen? So once again, as long as we are in this world, we're going to be faced with challenges from time to time. Don't ever ask somebody to pray for you like a man asked me. Years ago at ORU, when I was preaching Brother Oral Roberts, Brother Roberts preached first and he said, you'll follow and then you'll close out the service and then I want you to pray for the people after you finish. So when he got finished, he turned it to me and I was preaching from John 16, 33. And at the end of the service, I called up different ones to pray for. And this one man said, Brother Jerry, I want you to pray that I will never have another problem I will never have another challenge. I'll never have another test or a trial. I said, okay. So I laid my hands on him. I said, Lord, let this man die. (laughs) He backed off and he said, I don't want to die. I said, well, sir, that's what you asked me to pray. He said, no, I ask you to pray that I'd never have another test, a trial, adversity. I said, well, sir, the only way that you can avoid that is you have to die and leave the planet. He said, well, I don't want to die. I put my hands back on him. I said, Lord, let him live. <laughs> but teach him how to overcome the world. Amen. How to, how to accept what Jesus has already done. Amen. So as long as we're in the world, we're going to be faced with adversity. Some seem to face a greater amount than others. You know, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. I have people say all the time, well, you don't go through what we go through. Yo mama 
I go through more than some of you go through because you're not responsible for what I'm responsible for. Amen. We all have tests and trials. We all go through adversity. We all experience difficulties, sometimes even impossible looking situations. But we have the right to expect victory. Amen. I live in victory. That's not saying I'm not ever facing trials and tests. I've faced them before. I'll face them again. But I really haven't asked God to give me a life where I have no tests or trials. Because I've learned in 51 years of walking with him, 51 years of preaching the word all over the world, I've learned how to overcome them. This morning in the first service, I talked about staying focused. The importance of staying focused on what God says and not what the world says. Amen. That's one of the ways that you can avoid being defeated. Amen. Now go with me to Psalm 34, if you will. Psalm 34. Look at verse 17. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord delivereth them out of all their troubles. Not some, not most of them. All. All means no exceptions. Look at your neighbor and say, all my troubles. The Lord will deliver me. Amen. So we need to let God's word be final authority. Somebody said, yeah, but he didn't deliver me out of this. and He didn't deliver me out of that. Well, I'm sorry that you have that testimony, but I'm not going to base my faith on something that happened to you. I'm going to base my faith on thus saith the word of God. Amen. Amen. I know a lot of people that apparently they didn't get delivered from certain troubles and adversities, but I don't want to be critical, but uh, it wasn't God's fault. It had to be something lacking in them. Perhaps knowledge. God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Maybe they didn't know what you and I just read. But God's word has got to be final authority. Settle that once and for all. No matter what's going on in your life, settle it once and for all. Whatever the word says, that settles it. Amen. Then it says in verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now don't stop reading there. Religious people always identify with the wrong thing. I've heard preachers stand up and quote that with tears in their eyes. Many are the afflictions of the righteous and I'm scriptural. But that's not what it says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but, but. Now, I'm not an English scholar, but I did learn in school many, many years ago that but is a conjunction. And that means he's not stopped talking. He hasn't stopped talking and thou shalt not stop reading. (laughs) Amen. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but. I always say, 
Don't forget to read the butts in the Bible because it changes the scenery. (laughs) Amen. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. That's where I'm identifying, praise God. The Lord delivers me out of them all. The Passion Translation says, even when bad things happen to the good and godly ones, the Lord will save them and not let them be defeated by what they are facing. Hallelujah. The Lord will save them. I shared with the staff earlier this week that I heard a minister a long, long time ago out on the West Coast. Uh, He was uh, one of the speakers in a conference I was in. And uh, during his time, he was talking about, you know, staying strong in the Lord and so forth. And he said, I have a plaque that I had made that I put in my office. And it's the first thing I read when I walk in my office. And it simply says, hang us thou in there. (laughs) I like that. Hang us thou in there. Look at your neighbor and say, hang us thou in there. In other words, don't quit. Don't give up, praise God. Amen. Quitting is never an option for a child of God. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where God's people were in major trouble. And somebody said, we need to seek the Lord. And they came back and said, I've heard from God. What did he say? Quit. <laughs> run, run, run. No, that's never his, that's never his answer. Amen. In fact, you remember the children of Israel reaching the Red Sea? Now, God, Moses had convinced them that God was going to deliver them and take them to a land of plenty. And they got up and started marching out of there and carried all the silver and the gold out. Man, they're shaking their tambourines. They're shouting. They're dancing. They're leaping. They're jumping. Oh, they were a happy bunch. They've been in bondage and their ancestors been in bondage for over 400 years. And now they're finally leaving Egypt. But God forgot to tell them there was a Red Sea preventing them from getting there. So when they came up on that Red Sea, they were ready to quit. They were ready to turn back. They got mad at Moses. Why did you bring us out here to die? At least when we're in Egypt, we had something to eat. Now, this is the same bunch that cried every day, get us out of Egypt. Get us out of Egypt. I think they were the original charismatic Christians. <laughs> A fickle bunch. Amen. Why didn't you leave? Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Why didn't Moses just say, all right, we'll take you back. If that's what you want, I thought you wanted out of Egypt. Well, what do we do now? We can't get, we we can't go anywhere. And then the Egyptians are, uh, are following them. Man, they can see the dust rising. They can hear the, the, the sound of the horses and the chariots. What do we do now? We're between a rock and a hard place. And notice God didn't say, if I were you, I would hide. If I were you, I'd run like a scared rabbit. No. He said, why do you have to ask me what you need to do? It's very simple. Go forward. Go forward. That's always his direction. Go forward. Amen. 
Look at your neighbor and say, go forward. Even if it's a baby step, at least go forward. Amen. Any of you ever seen that movie, What About Bob? That's a funny movie. Amen. Baby Steps. It was the title of that book. Baby Steps that he had to read, you know, from the psychiatrist. Take a baby step if all you can take. But keep going forward. Amen. Don't retreat. I I never did like to go to retreats. Why do Christians have retreats? (laughs) I don't like the sound of it. I understand where they're coming from, but uh, you want to go to the retreat? No. When y'all have an advance, I'll go. Why don't they ever have advances? Let's have an advance. And, And why do Christians have to go to a retreat? They already know how to retreat. We need to teach them to advance. Amen. Hallelujah. So God's direction is always go forward, go forward. So once again, the Passion Translation says, even when bad things happen to the good and the godly ones, the Lord will save them and not let them be defeated by what they are facing. So if that's the promise from God, then hangest thou in there. (laughs) Amen. Don't give up. God expects us to trust him. God expects us to stay in faith and God expects us to be determined to persevere. I want to say that again. If you're taking notes, you ought to write it down. You ought to put it at the top. Here's what God expects me to do. Number one, keep trusting him. Number two, stay in faith. And number three, become determined that you will persevere. I asked the Lord many years ago, give me a definition for persevere. And I love the definition he gave me. Outlast the devil. That's what persevere means. Just simply outlast the devil. Can you say amen? So perseverance is spoken of quite often in the Bible. And uh, it's, it's one of the things that causes you to become a recipient of all that God has for you. We've been through some trying times over the last few months. Some difficult times. A lot of people are still suffering, still hurting. A lot of Christians are suffering. A lot of Christians have lost their jobs. Uh, Many have had to cut into their savings and their uh, uh, money that they planned to pass down to their children and their children's children and so forth. So we have been through some tough times. But that doesn't change the word in the least. Do you not think God didn't see this in advance? You know, you don't wake up in the morning and say, God, did you know the coronavirus is here? No. And nudge Jesus. Did you know that? No. Nothing surprises him. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter four, everything is open and naked unto him. Amen. But you would have thought, If he'd have known it was coming, that he'd have some different, you know, passage in the Bible. No, it still says the same thing. I like what Van Crouch, he he was a motivational speaker and and a very good friend of mine. And he's been here with us a number of times. And Van and I have spoken together in Christian athletes conferences and so forth. 
did uh, chapel services together with the Chicago Bears and different teams. And uh, <laughs> Van is so funny. He said, uh, we had a psychic in our city. And she lost her place, the place where she had her business. And the whole town was surprised she didn't see it coming. (laughs) Well, nothing surprises God. He saw this coming, but he's already made provision in his word. Amen. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Boy, that's a scripture to hang on to right now. If there ever was one, amen. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Isaiah 54, 17. I'm counting on that. I'm standing on that. Psalm 91. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for Psalm 91. You know, I fly all over the world. I've been to 46 different nations. I spend 22 days out of every month preaching the word somewhere around the world, except over the last few months, I haven't been anywhere. But uh, man, I'm on airplanes all the time, either my own or commercial airlines. And boy, you don't think that the first thing I do when I sit down on that airplane, including my own, I start decreeing Psalm 91 and Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Amen. Amen. Psalm 91 protection. Hallelujah. I'm glad the word hasn't changed no matter what we go through. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. So God has no intention of allowing us to fail. And you need to let that sink deep down into your spirit. That God is not going to allow you to fail. He's the faithful God. Amen. He's the faithful God. The passion says in Psalm 34 verse 20. God will be your bodyguard to protect you. Psalm 37 and verse 25. The Passion Translation says. I once was young. But now am I old. But not once have I found a lover of God forsaken by him. King James says. I once was young and now am I old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. I found that scripture when I was young. When I first came to the Lord at 23 years old, I'm 73 now. But when I first found that scripture, I'm just a young man. I was thrilled to find that God would never forsake me and I'd never have to beg bread. Hallelujah. And I began quoting that as a young man. I've quoted it all these years. Now, praise God, I'm an older man. I'm not old, but I'm older. 73. For some folks, that's old. When I was 23, that was old. But it's not old now. In fact, I bet I can outdo some of you right now. My grandchildren. Dylan, are you in here? Okay. My grandchildren, now some of them are real young. I mean, you know, this one over here. We can lay on our backs 
and raise our feet six inches and hold it there. And none of the grandchildren have ever beaten me. None of them. And don't think you can now either, Bren. I still got it. (laughs) Amen. I once was young, but now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. That's the scripture you need to hold on to. Amen. Particularly in times like these. Now, let me give you some verses about how God responds to affliction and adversity. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, talking about the children of Israel when they were in bondage to Egypt. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. See, a lot of times people think, particularly God's people, that God doesn't understand what I'm going through. Don't he know I need help? But notice here it says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. But it doesn't stop there. God doesn't just see it and then ignore it and move on to something else. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 17, just 10 verses later. And he says, I have said, I will bring you up out of this affliction. So God sees it and he intends to do something about it. If you're going through some affliction right now, it's not over. You've heard me say it time and time again. I'll say it again today. God says it's never over until he says it's over. And God will never say it's over until you and I win. Amen. So notice here, God's intention is even when he sees the affliction, His intention is, I will bring you up out of this affliction. He's not going to leave you there. You just stay in faith, keep trusting him, and determine that you're going to persevere no matter how long it takes. You know, it's wonderful when things happen quickly, suddenly. That's one of my favorite words in the Bible, suddenly. Suddenly. I love suddenlies, don't you? But my life has not been filled with suddenlies. Usually, it's having done all to stand, stand. Having done all to stand, stand. I remember one time, I had stood, and I had stood for days and weeks. I had stood, and it looked like nothing's happening. And finally, I said, Lord, what do I do now? He said, stand. I said, I have been standing. What now? He said, stand. I said, Lord, have you been watching? I have been standing. He said, now you're scriptural. Having done all to stand, stand. I want to say, is anybody else up there? I'd like a second opinion. (laughs) Anybody ever felt that way? I'm going to cast out lying devils if you don't lift your hand. (laughs) I felt, you felt that way from time to time. Amen. And then I'll never forget what he said. If you could see what I'm seeing, you'd be rejoicing. I said, then what do you see? He said, you got the devil right where you want him. He just fired his best shot. If this one doesn't get you, he's done. He's finished and you win. I started shouting and rejoicing. Praise God. 
Now, in the natural, nothing had changed but my attitude and my perspective. Hallelujah. Amen. And when I began rejoicing in the midst of adversity, isn't that what James told us to do? Count it all joy, my brethren. When? When everything's going well? Anybody can do that. When you got plenty of money in the bank? Anybody can do that. When your body's healthy? You don't have any symptoms of anything? Everybody can rejoice in those conditions. No, he said, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into different tests and trials. Now, not everybody can do that, or not everybody will do it. You can, but it's a matter of will you. Amen? It's an act of your will. You can rejoice even in the midst of adversity. I think one of the greatest lessons God ever gave me besides all the rest, (laughs) was when he taught me not to allow Satan to steal my joy. Oh, what a lesson that was. We were having a board meeting at our, uh, at at the ministry. This was back in 1981. All of my board of directors had come in from all over the country and and then uh, we had a, a meal together and they all came to the house and and we spent a lot of time fellowshipping. And, and then some of them were staying in our home. Others were in hotels. So we didn't get to bed that night till really late. And I had to leave the next morning to fly to Tulsa to be at Ramah and preach for Brother Hagin. And so, I don't know, man, it was about 1 o'clock in the morning when I finally got to bed. And I knew I had to leave at about 7 the next morning. I laid my head on that pillow. And all of a sudden, I heard these words. If Satan can't steal your joy, he can't keep your goods. I said, not now, Lord, I'm tired. (laughs) If Satan can't steal your joy, he can't keep your goods. I said, Lord, I got to leave early in the morning. If Satan can't steal your joy, he can't keep your goods. I said, okay. I got up and Carolyn said, where are you going? I said, I got to go to my study. God just said something to me and I got to pray it out. Well, man, he taught me on the force of joy and how together, coupled together with your faith is a unbeatable team. When you have faith and joy, you cannot be defeated. And particularly when you will not allow Satan to steal your joy. And boy, what a valuable lesson it was. I preached it that next morning at Ramah. Uh, the first time I'd ever preached it. And then after that, I preached it uh, in Brother Copeland's Believers Convention in Charlotte, North Carolina. Preached on it for a whole week. And man, what a powerful meeting that was. And I took all those messages and then uh, had them transcribed and turned it into a book with the same title of Satan Can't Keep You, uh, If Satan Can't Steal Your Joy, It Can't Keep Your Goods. And that book is going around the world, been translated. And I don't know how many languages. It's still one of my best-selling books. And I wrote it in 1981. Amen. And everywhere I go, people talk about if Satan can't steal your joy. It made such an impact on the body of Christ all over the world. Carol and I went to uh, Singapore one time. And uh, our first time to go to Singapore. This is back years ago. And we arrived at the airport in the wee hours of the morning or late that night, one or the other. And I, don't, I didn't know who was going to pick us up. And back then is when people could come to the gate and meet you at the gate. And we're walking down the terminal. 
And I don't know who's going to meet us. I just was told that somebody will be there to drive us to our hotel. And there was two young men coming toward us with this big smile on their face. And I told Carol, I said, that could be our drivers. I'm not sure, but it sure looks like they recognize us. And when they got up to us, they didn't say, hello, Brother Jerry. Hello, Sister Carolyn. Good to see you. We're so glad you're here. First thing they said was, oh, Satan can't steal your joy. Can't keep your goods. (laughs) I said, these are our drivers. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, it was Joseph Prince. Yeah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. So God said, I have seen the affliction of my people. I will bring you up out of the affliction. And then Deuteronomy 26 verse 7, they're testifying to what God said and what God did. The Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and oppression And verse 8 says, And the Lord brought us forth with a mighty hand and with signs and with wonders. Notice God didn't leave them in that affliction. God didn't leave them in their trouble. God didn't leave them in all that adversity. He heard their cry. He saw their affliction. And He delivered them. And it says, He brought them forth with a mighty hand. And with signs and with wonders. Hallelujah. Everybody shout signs and wonders. wonders. I sense in my spirit that's what's next on God's agenda. Through all of this that we've been through, we are headed for signs and wonders like we've never experienced before. Amen. Wouldn't it be a wonder if God restored all that's been stolen from you during this tough time we've been going through? Wouldn't that be a sign that our God's alive? Wouldn't that be a wonder? Well, it would make other people wonder. How did that happen? Well, if it makes other people wonder, and if it makes you wonder, that's a wonder. Amen. Signs and wonders. A mighty hand. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So I sense in my spirit, that's what's next on God's agenda. He doesn't just bring us out. He restores. God didn't just deliver Job. He restored everything that was taken from him and gave him twice as much. Hallelujah. Amen. So hang on to that. That could very well be our next stop. Glory to God. When this is all settled, when this is all behind us, then praise God, it could be the next thing that you're going to experience is signs and wonders from God and the fulfillment of the prophetic word, supernatural increase beyond anything you've ever experienced before. Come on, give the Lord a shout and thank him for it. Praise God. Amen. It went on to say, and he had, and this is from Deuteronomy chapter nine, and he had brought us into this place And hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. Amen. That's what God did after the affliction, after the adversity, after the test and the trials. 
God not only brought them out, but he brought them in too. Somebody say, God's going to bring me out and God's going to bring me in too. Say it again. God's going to bring me out and God's going to bring me in too. Hallelujah. And it says he brought them into a place, a land that floweth with milk and honey. And milk and honey is symbolic of abundance and supernatural increase. Hallelujah. That's God's way. Now, I read from a commentary that a land of milk and honey generally is accepted as a metaphor for God's blessing of all good things and a place where there is no lack, a place where there is plenty and abundance. And God said, I'm taking you to a land that flows with milk and honey. So once again, that is symbolic of a place where God's uh, blessing uh, of all good things. It's a place where there is no lack, a place where there is plenty and and abundance. Amen. And that's where we're headed. That's God's pattern. He sees your affliction. And he brings you out. It may not be overnight. It may not be in a week. It may not be in a month. But that's where perseverance comes in. Yes. Amen. You know, if, if, if it's just going to be real easy, then anybody could do it. Living by faith sometimes is not easy. <laughs> Amen. If it was, then... All Christians would be living by faith, but not all of them do. If it was easy, then nobody would ever quit, but some do. Sometimes it's very difficult to look yourself, look at yourself in a mirror and say, today, you are not going to be moved by what you see. You're not going to be moved by what you hear, and you're not going to be moved by what you feel. I said, I say that quite often. I mean, a lot. None of these things move me. I learned that from the Apostle Paul. None of these things move me. I got up the other morning, and I don't, I don't know how this happens while you're sleeping. Weird things happen when you get older, when you're sleeping. <laughs> I went to bed, went to sleep. Got up the next morning, and this elbow, it was, it was inflamed. And it was, it was weird looking. It was way out here like this. And I could hardly bend, and just the sheet touching it hurt. It was like gout. You know, anybody ever had gout? But if you hadn't, don't ever have it. Amen. Ooh, it's, it's painful. <laughs> and I couldn't move my elbow. And just, just touching it against something was so painful. Now, I never said a word about it. Carolyn didn't even know. She didn't know until just now. See what you learn when you come to church? <laughs> it was painful. And I, I went about my business. I, I, you know, I've been working in the yard and so forth. And, and you know, while we've had this time off, I've, we're getting a lot of things accomplished at the house. And, 
And I went on about my business. I did my work. And it was extremely painful. So I'm not saying that perseverance is easy. I'm not saying that being determined that you're not going to be moved by what you see and what you feel and what you hear is the easiest thing you'll ever attempt. No, it's not. But you can do it. But you got to set your mind to it. You got to set your heart to it. Amen. And then, you know, about three or four days later, I'm good. It's, it's still a little red around here. And it, I don't know how it got inflamed. You know, I don't know what I did. I don't know what I ate. Carolyn, did you hit me during the night? <laughs> I have no idea what I did that caused it. Amen. I, I wake up sometimes with bumps I didn't have the night before. <laughs> I wake up and say, what is this? Bumps all over my face or... It's crazy. <laughs> what are you laughing at? You're going to be there someday. <laughs> I don't understand it. How can you get it during the night when you're sound asleep? Does a little bump demon come in? He's asleep now. Let's put some bumps on him. I'm 73. You're not supposed to have pimples at 73. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, what I'm saying is, it's not always easy to not be moved by what you see. Particularly if you got to get up and shave in the morning, you think, where did that come from? But I'm not moved by what I see. You're handsome. You're good looking. You're youthful looking. Hallelujah. You got it, buddy. A land that flows with milk and honey. Maybe I'm drinking too much milk and honey. (laughs) Hallelujah. Okay, I'll get off of that for a while. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. You can't have fun in church. You ought to have, you ought not have any fun anywhere. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 6. Look at verse 11. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. How long are you supposed to have assurance? To the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Follow those. Not anything wrong with having examples. I've had some great examples in my life of faith. Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan, Oral Roberts, T.L. Osborne, many others. I, I looked to them as examples. I followed their faith, praise God. 
It followed their patience and their consistency and inherited the promises just like they were doing. But then notice in um, verse 15. And so, talking about Abraham, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. After. Everybody say after. Oh, that little word after. That's where the struggle is. After he had patiently endured, then he obtained the promises. Don't don't ask questions to yourself. How much longer am I going to have to go through this? See, that that doesn't inspire. That discourages. That distracts. That causes you to lose focus. If you're going to ask yourself anything, ask yourself this. How long are you willing to last? Are you determined to win? Do you want the promises of God fulfilled in your life? Ask yourself questions that will motivate you, not discourage you and talk you into quitting. Amen. You, you, I've said uh, many times to audiences all over the world, you need to become your own best cheerleader. Amen. Cheer yourself on. Encourage yourself. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. And you have to do that sometimes because you may not have anybody else around that can do it for you. So you have to encourage yourself. You have to cheer yourself on, praise God. Hallelujah. With the word of God. So notice, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. The message translation says, Abraham stuck it out and got everything promised to him. I love that. He stuck it out and he got everything that was promised to him. Everybody wants everything promised, but not everybody's willing to stick it out. Amen. I, I, I learned this through experience of, of things that Carol and I were believing God for in those early days and and we needed them desperately in order to fulfill what God had called us to do. You know, if you're going to have, if you're going to be a traveling minister, you need a vehicle. <laughs> and our vehicle was shot. I mean, it was worn out. I had bought that car when I was still doing paint and body work. It was a total wreck when I bought it. I rebuilt it. It was beautiful. You couldn't, you couldn't tell it was ever wrecked. But the engine and transmission was already, you know, shot. Had over 100,000 miles on it. It's all I could afford at the time. But looking at it, you couldn't tell it had ever been wrecked. It was a O's luxury sedan. And luxury had left that car a long time ago. <laughs> That's what we drove over here when we went to work with Brother Copeland. And, and sometimes it'd start and sometimes it wouldn't. Transmission slip. <laughs> I took Brother Copeland. He wanted me to take him to the airport one day. And it was cold. Man, it was a cold day. He wanted me to take him out to Oak Grove. He was just going to be away for one day and didn't need me to go with him. He said, come pick me up and take me to Oak Grove. So, man, I got up early. I went out there and started that car way before I had to be at Brother Copeland's. 
because you never knew if it was going to start or not. In fact, that car did not respond to just put a key in the ignition and turn it. It only responded to about an hour of praying in tongues. Okay? I pray in tongues and start it, you know. And when I got to Brother Copeland's at the time, uh, he lived out on the south side of town. And when I got to his house, I left the engine running because I didn't want to take a chance it wouldn't start again. And I went in and got Brother Copeland, got his bag, put him in the car. He had on this nice suit and had his top coat on. I didn't even know what a top coat was back then. I just had, you know, what I had. And we got in the car. And we started driving to the airport. And when uh, we got to an intersection, Brother Copeland said, Jerry, turn the heater on. I said, Brother Copeland, it's on full blast. Don't be moved by what you feel. (laughs) I I learned that from him, see. He said, the heater's on. I said, it's on. Why? Look, high. He said, does the heater not work? I said, don't be moved by what you feel. We could see one another's breath as we were talking. It was so cold. And we're driving along there and he's shivering over there. And all of a sudden he took his hand and slapped the dash of that automobile and said, in the name of Jesus, Heater, I command you to work in the name of Jesus. He'd like to run us out of there. Man, it was, man, it got hot. We got to the next intercession. I said, Brother Cope, don't turn your faith off. Because we're going to turn left. The transmission slips. Traffic's coming your way. You better stay in faith. Because this thing's liable to just die right out in the middle of the intersection. Now, when you know you're called to travel, my lightning fast mind figured this out. We need a good car, you know. And in the natural, there's no way for us to get a car. Because I'd made up my mind I wasn't going in debt anymore. I still believe in God to pay off the debts I already had. But God. Amen. It didn't happen overnight, but thank God it happened. Oh, I'll never forget that first faith car. Oh, what a joy. It wasn't a brand new one, but it was close to being new. Had some miles on it, but it was our first faith car. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. And we learned some things about perseverance. Learned some things about patience, about sticking it out. Oh, there were times, there were times I'd get up in the morning and I'd think, dear God, forget all this. I'm just going to borrow the money and get to get a car. This is ridiculous. But I had to take authority over my thoughts. And, and just persevere, you know. We did that with the same way with our first airplane. You know, it didn't come overnight. In fact, when, when, when we needed it the most, in the natural, it looked like it'd never come. Because now I'm getting invitations to come all over the country, and there's no way you could get to all the places I accepted to preach in in a car. You can't be in Los Angeles one night and New York City the next and, and be at your best, you know. And now I'm accepting invitations all over the country. And it would be a good time for this airplane to manifest. But it didn't happen right away. But thank God we learned to persevere. 
thank God we learn patience. Never changing, regardless of the circumstances. We did just like we saw Abraham. I'm following his faith. Amen. He stuck it out and got everything God had promised him. And that's what we've practiced all these years. For 51 years, we have stuck it out. Amen. And God has fulfilled everything he's promised to us. And whatever we're believing for right now, I have no doubt whatsoever that God's going to make it happen. It's just a matter of time. But hallelujah. When you know that you know that God is faithful and he's never let you down, then praise God we can handle it. Hallelujah. We'll just hang in there and then give the testimony when it happens. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a shout if you receive that. Amen. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12 real quick. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. Wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. Notice how many times in the Bible it talks about patience. Amen? And that's one of the virtues that a lot of people don't want to talk about. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Stay focused while you're in this race, looking unto Jesus. He's the greatest example we have. The message translation says, start running and never quit. Start running and never quit. I want to wrap it up with this. How many of you remember, and I'm talking about the old version, not this new version. I don't like the new one. The old version of Ben Hurt, starring Charlton Heston. How many of you saw that? I remember that. I know a lot of the young people don't even know who I'm talking about. And even if you saw the newer version, it's not, it's not even close. Charlton Heston, he also was the one who played Moses in the Ten Commandments. And Cecil B. DeMille directed both of these movies. Okay? In that movie, Ben-Hur, there is a famous, at the end of the movie, a famous chariot race. I mean, if you remember that. And it's reported that Charlton Heston, he had to learn how to drive a chariot. And it was, a lot of those were in the scene, it's like four horses. And drive this chariot around a track, and he had to learn to drive it. Now, I'm sure that he had a double in some of the scenes, but he had to learn to drive that. It was demanded of him from Cecil B. DeMille. And finally... Uh, he got really frustrated by it being so difficult to learn how to handle these horses and so forth. And he went to Cecil B. DeMille and said, uh, I'm not sure I can do this. And he said, well, just keep practicing. And he did. And finally, Charlton Heston said, I think I can drive the chariot now, but I don't think there's any way I could win this race. Now, I've got a little clip of that I want you to see. So, guys, show that.
Charlton Heston on the far side. Watch this. probably a double. Okay, you can turn it off. Somebody else probably did that scene. But he winds up winning the race. But he went to Cecil B. DeMille and he said, I think I can drive the chariot now, but I don't think I can win the race. Cecil B. DeMille responded with, you just stay in the race. I'll see to it you win. <laughs> Amen. When you're the director of the film, you can make it turn out any way you want to. But that's, that was a great response. You just stay in the race. I'll see to it you win. And I just want to leave that with you this morning. God is telling you, just stay in the race. He'll see to it that you win. Amen. Give the Lord a good shout of praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And here's where you're headed. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the message translation says, there has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish. That's where we're headed, praise God. Look at your neighbor and say, you just stay in the race. And God will see to it that you win. Come on, give me one more good shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 